Well, top of the morning to you. Uh, it is our Tuesday key market drivers call. It is the 29th of uh, August. Uh, there's our contact info. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Blah, blah, blah. Let's get after it here. Uh, what do we got for news? Well, I think you got some competing things on here. Uh, the Pro Farmer Crop Tour uh, came in uh, below USDA estimates last month, which uh, is not all that surprising. I have mentioned on past calls that uh, the pro farmer does have a little bit of a historical ten tendency to be, quote, pro farmer, end quote, uh, uh, which means a little bullish, but not so much as you might think. I mean, it's it's generally a good tour. The market watches it pretty close. Uh, in fact, directionally anyway, the last four years, it has been a harbinger for changes in the USDA forecast between the August velocity, which we've already got, and the September WASD, which comes out uh, what week after next, I guess, or maybe next yep. week, late next week. Uh, however, the two years prior than that, it was directionally incorrect. So I suppose you could take what you want out of that. But they have, again, leaned in the correct direction for four years in a row here. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about their tour results and what they may or may not mean here uh, in just a second. But I will tell you this. With the lack of rainfall that Paige is going to talk about, uh, I would probably not bet against uh, US uh, against the pro farmer numbers, at least directionally, which were below the USDA August. So more on the bearish side here, uh, there just continues to be bad news about the Chinese economy. They are just uh, struggling. You continue to have the analyst community lowering their expectations for GDP growth over there. Uh, which is not good for world economic growth because I think China was prior forecast to make up about a third of the growth uh, globally in, in output. So that's not good. The reason that that's important to us is that China is the biggest bean buyer uh, in the export market, the biggest bean buyer in the world. And by the way, it's not close. Uh, it wasn't that many years ago where we used to say that for every three bushels of beans, soybeans that trade in the world market, China buys two of them. They weren't quite two thirds, but they were pretty close. They're under 60% today, but still the Chinese buy over half of all the soybeans that trade in the export market. Not that are produced, but that are traded in the export market. So uh, things aren't good in China and demand isn't good in China, that's a bit more bearish, especially when you get to soybeans themselves and the whole soy complex. So we'll see where that goes. And then the last bullet, obviously we are coming down. I'm not even sure we're, we're in the home stretch anymore. We are just about to the finish line here and really didn't have that great a finish at all for soybeans. Uh, I think many are hopeful that the rain that we had in July in the first half of August will allow us to kind of limp and stumble across the finish line, but we're clearly costing ourselves uh, yield here in a lot of areas. So moving on to the next slide here, uh, StatsCan was out. Matter of fact, we're a little bit late getting our recording call started this morning because uh, making sure we get these StatsCan numbers in here. I would say a little bit bullish, that canola number at 17.6. Uh, not sure what trade expectations were, but that seems to be in line with what we're hearing. Uh, we have mentioned uh, multiple times on this call over the course of the last two or three weeks that from everything we're hearing from people north of the border that uh, canola crop is probably a 17 point something million metric ton crop. And uh, that's what StatsCan uh, uh, confirms here. 
Wheat numbers a little bit disappointing here. 22.1 million metric tons of spring wheat production. That's just spring wheat. Uh, that's down over 14, actually about 14 and a half percent. And Durham production is well below last year's 5.8 million metric tons at uh, 4.3. So uh, we'll see if that gets the wheat markets jazzed up here a little bit. But I'm looking out at my quote screen on the wall out in the other room here, and wheat prices are still red. So maybe the market but, just has made too much of that. But I mean, in reality, whenever a stats can report comes out, and this is not trying to disparage our Canadian uh, friends to the north, but um, how much how much stock does the market really put in a StatsCan report? Yeah, well, that's that is an excellent point. That I mean, is you look at point. these numbers, and they have they have every crop being down double digit percent, with the exception of soybeans, chickpeas, and corn. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and mustard seed. Mustard seed only down two percent. But I mean, it's I don't know. It just seems like it's one of those things that whenever they report something, we all kind of look at it and say, oh, okay, what's next? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, but it has been dry up there. I mean, it has been dry. And I know you, you know, um, you talk to folks up there and obviously it's having an impact on things. So maybe, maybe they're right this year. Maybe things will be down a little bit, but I think you're right though. That 17 point something is kind of what everybody said when you talk to uh, any of our contacts up there. So, and we'll know soon enough, I guess. Yep. Yep. Uh, we got the September WASBI coming out on the 11th. Uh, we'll probably talk a bit more about that on our call next week, although I don't think by Tuesday of next week we're probably going to have any trade estimates out, but uh, should start to hear a little bit about what the trades think and going into that report. Uh, the Fed meeting, we have our September Fed meeting. Uh, if you look at Fed funds rate futures, say that three times fast. Uh, the market's uh, only a 20% chance of a 25-point rate hike. I'm not so sure that that's not going to go up uh, after Fed Chairman Powell's comments at the uh, Jackson Hole Symposium. Uh, he was pretty clear in his press conference that uh, if we get continued strong jobs data, that uh, they will make sure that they keep inflation in check by raising rates again. So I don't know from the comments that I read from that press conference, uh, I would probably take the overs on that 20%, but um, there you go. Also, end of the month, we've got the small grain summary again. More on that, I think, uh, in subsequent reports. So so here is what Pro Farmer uh, told us. 172 bushel corn yield. Uh, the USDA was, uh, help me out here, Nate, 75 and a half, 175 and a half, something like that? Yep. Or were they, I guess, no, 174, no, they, nine, maybe? Yeah, something right there, yep. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a bit below the USDA. And again, the last four years, they've been directionally correct uh, on corn yield anyway, relative to the USDA. That would indicate that the if the trade ex, if the trade follows that, that would give us the idea that trade expectations uh, for the September WASDE, probably somewhere between the August number and and that 172 yield, I would guess. Uh, soybeans just under a 50 bushel crop, uh, about a bushel an acre below the USDA. Uh, I saw Cordonier went down to 50 bushel an acre beans. And I think when you find, when you combine the pro farmer findings here with the fact that the weather's just not good and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better, those to me look like pretty believable numbers. Maybe they're a little low on the corn number, but I think beans where August rainfall is so much more important. Uh, it's just hard to believe that we're going to pull a, a stellar bean crop out of our out of our hat. Certainly could have if it hadn't stopped raining, but 
Well, and that's the one thing yeah. with this that I that I think might be a bit of a, a monkey wrench thrown in things. When Pro Farmer did their tour, it was uh, first part of last week, right? Kind of right yeah, in the middle of all the, the heat. And now, so the crop was stressed, and now this week it's supposed to be warm again. You know, and, and I think when you look at this, if anything, you know, corn might be what it is, but I think on the soybeans, there might be a, a good chance of this thing coming in even lower just because of the damage we're doing to the soybean crop. And, and unfortunately, yep. soybeans are the one that we already are looking at a pretty, pretty tight balance sheet. And, you know, we don't have a lot of wiggle room there on the corn. I think, I mean, if we come in under that, there's enough room in that corn balance sheet. That I don't think it's going to be a big deal, but. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Market's not too worried about the corn market right now. Um, I, I think, you know, with, with the likelihood of a lower bean yield, I think that this just puts that much more onus on a big South American crop. Now, remember, the USDA is currently forecasting the mother of all record soybean crops in South America. I think almost a 30 million metric ton increase in production with another new record in Brazil and Argentina returning to, to quote, more normal. Remember, they had a 100-year drought last year in Argentina. Uh, but still, we haven't even planted that crop yet, much less grown it. And I think that uh, if you want to look for something uh, for some upside risk, uh, that coming down the road, that South American growing season, that really is going to start here in about three weeks, two or three weeks. Uh, they'll start planting mid-September in Monte Grosso. Um, that is probably where a good bit of your risk is uh, in the soy complex uh, and especially soybeans themselves. So that is the Pro Farmer Report, uh, our agronomy minute uh, I'll talk about here today. And uh, I would say at least based on what Pro Farmer found, at least when you look at the weather, uh, crops around here probably are not typical. Um, you see a, a cornfield on the upper left, soybean field right below that. The reason I took the soybean picture, uh, that's the first field that I've seen turning around here. Uh, if you look out in that field, it's a pretty small picture, but you can start to see some yellow leaves. And the old adage is, and I, I'm not even sure it's an adage, it's kind of uh, more of an agronomic back, but when you start to see yellow in a field, uh, that field will be ready to harvest in a couple weeks. So uh, obviously Mother Nature willing. If you look at the corn, this is the same field that I showed you, the ear that had the scarring on it last week. Uh, this is another ear in the same field, and I couldn't be 20 foot from where I found that ear last week. Uh, that is a perfect ear of corn. Uh, if you just count those kernels in the picture, you got you got 40, you got a little bit over 40 kernels uh, down, and I think this one was 16 around. So uh, again, that's not completely indicative of the whole field. I showed you the one that had some some stress damage to it from June last week, but that's in pretty good shape. And look at that soybean plant. And what you're looking at there, especially this back area here, that is the top node on the plant. Look at those big beans up there. Now, again, we're probably not representative here uh, compared to a lot of other places, certainly in Western Iowa. Uh, about three weekends ago, two weekends ago, we got about six tenths of an inch of rain. We got an inch of rain at my house. Uh, Friday night into Saturday morning, uh, Scott's dad in Bennington, less than 10 miles away, didn't get a drop. So I think it kind of depends on where you're at. Uh, and if you were, if you happen to be fortunate enough to be under the cloud when it let go of some moisture, you're in much better shape. That's what we're looking at here, especially that bean crop. 
uh, that bean plant that you see all the way on the right. That plant has gotten some late moisture, and that's what a soybean plant can do with late moisture. Uh, these crops in other areas that are leaking oil, so to speak, because of the uh, the dry weather, they're not going to have this many. They're not going to have pods at any, uh, many of, or, or any up at the top of the plant like this. So. Let's get into it. Corn market. Been telling you before, the corn market doesn't want to go up. Uh, it was not that impressed with the lower pro farmer estimate. Uh, we got plenty of corn. And then you heard me say it last week, and I will say it again because it is certainly still true. Uh, bullish factor, bottom left hand corner. Soybean prices are the most bullish thing for the corn market right now, it appears. Uh, you've got that new crop bean corn ratio out to over 2.85. You just don't see it that high. Uh, very often. Those of you that are new to the business, you might want to take a picture of that because you just don't see that ratio get that far out of whack very often. Probably the last week we'll put these drought area slides in, really not a bunch of a change, but the thing I did want to point out here is we've kind of broken the trend. Uh, up and through last week, this was trending lower. I think it started at well over 60%. My recollection is 67% here a month, month and a half ago. Uh, it was trending lower, and we've kind of finally broke the trend. We're starting to go back the other way. But again, for corn, it probably doesn't make an enormous amount of difference uh, at this point. Scott's not uh, not going to make the call today, so uh, I, the the job of talking about the wheat market falls to me. And as we always say in the office here, I don't care about wheat, which isn't completely true, but there might be an element to it. Uh, wheat prices generally down a little bit last week. Um, we seem to be getting some stuff out of the Ukraine. Uh, the second ship uh, has left uh, this Ukraine safe passage uh, corridor that they've uh, set up in the Black Sea. Uh, Russia is downplaying it. They're saying, well, just because you got this humanitarian corridor, corridor working without us uh, doesn't mean that we're going to get the, uh, the Black Sea grain deal going again. So we've said it before. You've heard Scott say it many times. The market just seems to have figured out uh, how to get by without that many bushels out of the Ukraine. So we'll see if that continues. I think one uh, one good drought somewhere in one of the major producing areas uh, won't be good. Uh, I mentioned that to mention this, I guess. Uh, India's monsoon is not that great. Uh, August was one of the driest on records over there when they're supposed to be getting monsoonal rains. Uh, they are on pace at this point for the total rainfall from their monsoon. Uh, be down about 8% from uh, from normal levels. So India is obviously a big wheat producer. India is a big wheat consumer because they've got about 1.2 billion people over there. So if it doesn't start raining and they have a bit of a crop failure, uh, India, as you know, is one of those countries that with a big crop can be an exporter and with a small crop will be an importer. Uh, so uh, how production goes over there and how the monsoon finishes up here uh, is going to be certainly watched quite a bit by this wheat market. If you look at the international prices, uh, I heard Scott say before he left that if you look, not necessarily at, here in the U.S., but if you look across the board, first week in a while that we really haven't seen much in the way of any changes uh, on the world wheat market. So that's what we've got for you on wheat, soy complex. Again, it, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because it really is this simple. This is what the market's trading right down here. The second bullish, the, the second item in the bullish market factors. We just aren't getting that finishing rain. Uh, not only are we not getting it, uh, uh, but I don't want to, I don't want to uh, 
run out in front of Paige's message here, but it's just not anything ever seems to show up in the forecast here. So you say that, and, and I'm looking at the screen, and it's red. <laughs> What's that? I say we say oh, yeah. that, but that the market's red. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the excuse given for prices being down this morning is that we just really didn't see the amount of deterioration in the USDA's uh, crop conditions. Uh, I'm a little suspect to that because we've been suspect to the crop condition reports uh, all along. But I did see a tweet yesterday, and the tweets, I think the comment was that if you believed in the USDA's crop conditions back in June, uh, you have to believe in the USDA crop conditions right now. It's a rule. Yep. Um, obviously, a little bit of just in that, but uh, people have a tendency with the crop conditions to uh, look at the part of them, part of that crop condition reports that fits their market bias anyway and move on down the road. So I talked, I showed you the yellow leaves here. Uh, we got 5% of the crop nationally starting to drop leaves. Uh, so harvest would be right around the corner. We will probably start to get some harvest results or just start scratching the surface on bean harvest here in a couple of weeks nationally. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of weeks after that, we should be into it pretty good. Veg oil markets. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to point out, um, if you look at that first bullet up at the top, August 1 through 25 exports are actually down. If you remember the slide last week, the first 20, day, 20 days of August, the exports were actually up. Look at what palm oil did last week. Palm oil prices were actually up about 1.7%. Bean oil prices were actually down. And that is a perfect illustration of what you've heard me say many, many times before. The palm oil market right now does not have its own story. It is following bean oil. And every time they get a little bit ginned up on a bullish story, whether it's you know El Nino talk, whether it's, hey, we had a pretty good start to August for exports, they run palm oil prices up a bit relative to bean oil prices. And guess what happens to their export market? People buy the cheap bean oil out of South America. So kind of a pretty good illustration there of what I'm talking about. Uh, and I think the one-two punch right now that the palm oil market has experienced is not only has exports gotten to be disappointing here uh, as we come down the home stretch in August, but production levels much better than expected. Uh, the Southern Millers uh, was out uh, yesterday, I think. Uh, that was expected to be up six or seven percent. It was up production up 11 percent. So better production, poor exports. And all of a sudden now we're talking about stocks numbers at the end of the month, north of 1.9 million metric tons. That's why canola prices have been on the defensive this week. Uh, I wanted to talk briefly here about the fuel thing. We, we've got the bullet on the slide every week. Uh, there is a lot of big renewable diesel plants starting up. Matter of fact, I'm going to skip around here. That is the scary slide. That is the slide that shows all this new renewable diesel capacity coming on. And one of the big risks I think we've got in the market here is a couple of these plants that are starting up uh, either late this year or out into the first half of next year, uh, particularly the Marathon plant in Martinez, California, and the P66 plant in Rodeo, California. Uh, they say rodeo, we say rodeo here in Nebraska, but that's another two-beer discussion. Those are enormous facilities that require an enormous amount of feedstock. Um, margins have gotten negative in renewable diesel, but I think one of our big risks in the veg oil space is how rational will these big energy companies that are pretty flush with cash right now, 
uh, how rational will they be? Will they not run these plants when margins aren't good or will they run them anyway? Um, I, a little hard to say how that's going to work out. But the other thing that I wanted to point out to you, you know, we look at the renewable diesel plant startups and we have a tendency to run scared and think, oh, my God, prices have got to go up a lot. But on the supply side, help is on the way as well. This is kind of a plant startup list. We got uh, a couple more new soybean crush plants starting up this fall. Uh, we've got other plants starting up, quite a few of them as we move out into 2024. We've also got a big expansion at uh, one of the large canola production facilities up in Canada uh, that should start up uh, probably Q1 of next year is what we're hearing. That'll supply another billion pounds of oil to the market. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this comes together and what it does to the market. But wanted to give you a quick update uh, on that. Uh, Jade, you got uh, anything changing on the dairy front? Well, good morning, Dave. Yeah, a little bit on the dairy front. We're down week over week, so you can see um, about time. Uh, yeah, down about time. Up uh, 2.4 percent versus last week on class three, but we're down on products. We're down on cheese 4.1 percent, and down on spot butter 1.1. Um, the big debate right now in the dairy complex is really: Do we have something structurally that's going on within the dairy complex, or is it something seasonal? Um, I, I tend to lean a little bit more towards the seasonal side because, again, right now we've got fluid milk flowing in to support schools. Um, that happens every single year. And keep in mind that fluid milk, um, from a sales perspective, schools represent about 8% to 10% of fluid milk sales. Um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty sizable number there. And so, you know, class, class one, you see the fluid milk prices going up. Um, and then on the other side, just seasonally, we know demand starts to pick up as production moves down. If you go to the next slide, I added some additional um, charts this, this morning or this week. On the top line, we have the class three futures, the all cheese futures and the, and the CME butter futures. And you can see not much of a change there. Again, for the class three, we have the nearby demand that's pulled for fluid milk. Um, cheese, you know, demand generally goes up about this time of year in preparation for back to school, also in support of football season when demand increases for fresh cheese, especially on the mod side. And then on the butter side, again, that that inverted curve because of demand into Q4. So the market's really anticipating that. But the reason why I think this tends to be a little bit more seasonal on the lower left hand side, we have dairy cows. And so we've been talking about and cow slaughter has been up. Um, Beef, beef, um, beef production is very, very, very tight right now. We're at record prices for beef. And so from dairy producers, you usually always call a certain percentage of their cows. Keep in mind that the, call, the cows that are being culled are probably some of the least efficient um, animals that they have. And so you may see a little bit of bump up in productivity just because you have uh, less older cows being in part of the herd. But the thing that I find that's interesting for people that don't watch the dairy complex is the number of dairy cows has been steadily going up the overall trend, but it does go down. But look at the milk per cow. So the yield per cow continues pretty steady and the milk production number continues to be pretty steady. I went back 25 years. So this is going back to 1998. And if there's anything that those charts kind of tell me is like, yep, our dairy cows, we can call cows. But our milk per cow and our milk production continues to be remains pretty steady. So we'll see at the end of the day on the way this turns out. But again, my bias is I'm a little bit more on the seasonal side. 
Um, I do think uh, dairy prices are forecasted lower year over year in 2024. We'll see how much lower they get. Um, milk right now is about 1850, 100 weight, which from a products perspective is is good is good prices for dairy producers. So I'm not saying that dairy farmers are going to be, you know, replacement animals are extremely expensive right now, but I think it's just going to be kind of more of the same. I think they're going to try to push out as much milk as they can. And I think to your earlier story, corn, new crop corn is below $5. So Dave, I think, what are we about 20% lower year over year on yep. corn numbers? At least. Um, yeah. And so I think from a dairy producer standpoint, you look at it, are my margins less uh, this year than they were in the last two years? Keep in mind, you had record farm income the last couple of years. Yeah, they're less, but they're not, you know, unreasonable. Let's put it that way. So my bias is I don't think it's a big, big number for, for dairy expansion, but I also don't think it's a big number for contraction. Well, haven't we been seeing, uh, we've seen kind of generally speaking, milk production has been trending, you know, four, five, six, seven percent, uh, tenths of a percent better than last year. And it sounds like that's your bias. We're not going to see that one plus percent increases this year, but probably yeah. not going to be a train wreck either. Yep. Yep. Nope. I would agree with that. All right. Well, thank you, Jay. Uh, and as always, especially at this time of the year where weather is so important, we've saved the best for last page. Uh, what is the weather doing or not doing? Yeah, I'm not sure the best for last is maybe the right picture to paint here. Um, well, if you had better news, it might be. Right. Uh, so, I mean, we're starting out with a little bit better news. So this is the past seven-day precipitation map. Uh, I think we got a little bit more rain than we were expecting to get. I know um, it's pretty spotty. What did you say? It Didn't it downpour at your house and not at Scott's or something? It was downpouring yeah, at the office? or Yeah, Scott's dad up in Bennington, they get any rain. We had an inch in the rain gauge at the Rebel Ranch. So, yeah, so crazy. Just, it just seems like there have been uh, pretty spotty but decent-sized systems that have moved through um, that we weren't really expecting. So I suppose that's better than nothing. Um, but don't get your hopes up too high because if you look at the seven-day forecast, it's not looking great. You want to flip forward to the forecast? There you go. There we go. Uh, yeah, so this is the seven day forecast and uh, there's really not a whole lot to report because everything is essentially white. Um, I guess you could argue that we might get some some of those spotty rains that we got the past week when our forecast looked like this as well. Um, hopefully that happens, but it's it's not looking not looking too good. We had a little bit more green on the seven-day forecast map last week. Um, yeah. You know, not a lot of rain, but we had some chances, and we just got lucky at my house. But uh, this does not have much chance at all, doesn't look like. Nope. Uh, if you want to flip forward to the longer-term forecast, this also does not look overly helpful at all. Um, both the 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 day are calling for well above average temperatures. Again, uh, luckily here in Omaha, we went from... 115 heat index and it cooled off quite nicely over the weekend. Um, I believe we call that fool's fall here because next next week I think it's supposed to be like 90 something or yeah. later this week even. Um, so temperatures are kind of ramping back up uh, and precipitation is kind of drying back out. Uh, the only good news with this weather forecast is if this holds and like Dave showed earlier, some bean fields are already turning. 
this is great harvest weather. It's just not beneficial to kind of finish a lot of these crops off. Yeah, I think we could have found ourselves pretty easily another, you know, bushel or two, if not three, uh, an acre nationally in bean yields if we just had gotten some rain here uh, last half July, first part, part of August. And these eight to 14 day maps are out to the 10th of September. Uh, remember, I made the comment here, I think last week that uh, somebody asked the question, well, when does it not matter anymore? Well, you start out to get to the 10th and 15th, you're kind of that spot where it doesn't matter anymore. So mm -hmm. um, we're getting to that spot very quickly. And you know, when you go to the movies, uh, you go to the movies and they show you the previews before you of, of the next movies coming out. Well, I'm going to do that here at the end. Uh, it's a little early. Uh, we are not even quite to September yet, but uh, it is the time of the year where we will start talking here in the next week or two about South American weather. The, 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 the pattern there is that the, the Brazilian farmer, especially up in the center of Brazil here in Mato Grosso, will start planting about the 15th of September. We'll have to figure out and get this communicated to you when the first plant dates are uh, there. Uh, they have fungus called rust that they uh, the government tries to control. So it's actually illegal for farmers to plant before that first plant date. It's typically middle of the month uh, and farmers there will typically also wait for this rainy pattern to change. They have a very much more pronounced rainy season and they'll wait to get a little bit of moisture. So. A little early to be talking about uh, Brazilian weather, but uh, stay tuned. The next uh, week or two, we'll start to, to talk about these maps a bit more. So thank you for the weather update, Paige. As always, we would like to hear from you. And I know I rushed past that at the beginning, but uh, as you watch this and as you listen to it, uh, we would certainly like to do everything that we can to make this better and more useful for you. So uh, please drop us a line. There's our email addresses right there. And as always, uh, be careful out there.